And I, I think the big challenge is to remember, despite the fact that you're moving in what feels like the same direction, that you are gaining ground and that you are in a different place and that you do know things that you didn't know before that you can apply. Number 164. What's going on, ladies? Welcome to the Biz Women Rock podcast. I'm your host, Katie Kremitzos, and I am bringing you tremendous stories from business women all over the world in all sorts of different industries so they can talk about their business journey so yours can be inspired by it. Before we get rolling, here's a little word from our awesome sponsor. What is up? I'm here with Jessica Lalau, the director of awesome communication. That's the name I'm giving her for Postcard <laughs> Mania. She is knows all things social media, all things communication, and all things marketing for Postcard Mania. Jessica, I got to ask you when people are um, when people are working out their marketing plan. One of the foundational things that most of us don't even realize until we're about to like send marketing pieces out is that we need a really quality mailing list and um, and it often kind of goes overlooked and, and your mailing is only as good as your mailing list. So it's totally like another world. How can any business owner make sure that they're actually getting a good mailing list? Hi, Katie. Thanks for the awesome title upgrade, by the way. I'm going to have to talk, talk to my CEO about that. <laughs> okay, so mailing lists are really complicated. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, but basically, when it comes to the records and the people you want to mail to, if you can dream them up, you can probably order it. It might just get more expensive the more specific you get. Um, and then the key to finding a good mailing list is really finding a good mailing list provider. That would be someone who orders a lot of lists regularly so that they know what they're doing and they have a good relationship set up with the list compiler. Um, But just to take it back one more step, there's really only two list compilers in the nation, and those are the people who get all the records and, you know, get all the data about people, and there's a ton of brokers, mailing list brokers. So make sure you have a really good broker or provider that somebody who orders a lot of lists often has a good relationship with those compilers that means that their prices will be a little bit lower and they should pass that savings on to you guys. Um, And also any good mailing list provider should guarantee a certain percentage of delivery on your mailing list. You heard it here with the experts of marketing. Thank you so much, Jessica. And you guys can go to 1-800-628-1804 and make sure you mention Biz Women Lists and you'll get a hookup from Jessica, right? Oh, yeah. We can also give you a free mailing list count so you can find out how many people in your target market are in your immediate area or in the area you want to mail. Rock on. Very nice. (laughs) You're welcome. Leslie Feinberg is the co-founder of Prohibition Bakery. It's exactly what you might think. It is the wonderful and blissful combination of cupcakes and alcohol. (laughs) And I'm not talking your little like, you know, rum infused little Christmas balls. I'm talking some major alcohol. uh, So much so that you actually, they card anyone who comes in there to purchase their stuff. 
So um, in this conversation with Leslie, we really talk about their um, their catering and what part of their business is catering, how they've gotten catering jobs with Google before. Um, and we talk about their retail location in New York City, what that really took to build out and how they're driving people there. Leslie shares one of the most amazing marketing techniques that I have ever heard of from a business like theirs. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to talk about it at the very end in the little wrap up when I talk about the biggest takeaways because uh, I just thought it was amazing. So you got to listen for that. Let's get into the conversation with Leslie. Leslie, thank you so much for being on the show. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, so very excited to tell your story because for the most part, um, booze and sweets, I mean, how can you go wrong with that kind of a business? Um, and uh, I'm sure that there are so many people who are listening who are just really fascinated by this idea of prohibition bakery, of this idea of combining really cool alcohol and and uh, cupcakes. So I want to get the story behind the scenes. How You have a business partner, Brooke. How, how did the two of you meet and how did this idea first come about? Well, we actually met on a, a trip, um, a birthright trip with uh, 40 strangers. And, you know, we, we didn't actually spend that much time together while we were traveling. And when we came back, we found that, you know, everybody else had these nine to five jobs and I was a bartender and she was a chef and we had weird hours. So, you know, we had drinking buddies for Tuesday nights, basically. <laughs> so yeah, you know, one day we started kicking around the idea for a prohibition bakery. Brooke's friend needed a cake for her bachelor party and she wanted to make her a Cosmo cake. Um, but Brooke, not being a huge liquor drinker, she didn't know what really a Cosmo was. So she came to me and, you know, I was a baker as well. So I, I kind of broke it down with her and, there was just a lot of room to grow with that idea. So we did. Gotcha. So was it like something that you guys were kind of like making for friends in the beginning and then like obviously they really liked it? Because it takes, I mean, it's a pretty unique structure to actually substitute alcohol for water or any sort of like liquid in in this kind of product. So did did you guys get that recipe right away or did it take you a little while to figure that out? Um, you know, the recipe actually came together very quickly. Um, you know, the beauty of a cupcake is it breaks down into three parts, well, the way that we do it. We have a cake, we have a and we have a frosting, and most cocktails can kind of be broken down into similar components. Um, so that part actually was fairly easy from the get-go. Gotcha. So when did you know, like, okay, this is more than our friends really like this and they kind of dig it? Like, when when did everything sort of become official? Like, okay, we got to do this officially now. Well, I think that for me, the biggest turning point was when we started doing a lot of catering for Google, um, and we actually got a meeting with Google's executive chef um, at the time, who was just the nicest guy, and I was like, if, if Google, you know, they're, they're case makers, these are people kind of known for their insight into the market, and I mean, if they, if they like this, then there's something happening here. How did you get that gig with Google? Like, how did, I, I imagine that would have shifted everything for you, but like, how did you get that in the first place? Um, I'm not going to lie, nepotism. It was a friend of a friend. <laughs> that There's nothing there wrong and, with um, that. <laughs> yeah, they, they heard what we were doing and they, they liked what we were doing. And so they suggested we cater one of their events. And then somebody at that event liked it. And so they asked for us to cater their next event. And, you know, they told two friends and they told two friends. And that was just it. At this point, did you guys have like a website? Did you have like official business cards? Did you have any of that stuff? Or was it just sort of like, hey, here's my cell phone number, call? We've kind of gone with the fake it till you make it method from the get-go. So, I mean, by the time we were really producing anything, we had, 
you know, a website, a Facebook page, business cards. I mean, granted, all of those, when we look at them now, were so amateurish, but they existed. And that was really all that mattered. Mm, yeah, that's very true. So uh, were you in the very beginning? I mean, when when did you make that moment to dive in head first and to be like, okay, we're doing this full time? Was that when, like right after the Google thing? No, I would say that happened probably about hmm, six months in. Um, we started doing uh, a local market, you know, a little green market with local food and things like that. Um, and it was going really well, and we were getting a really positive response and, you know, making a lot of sales. But we just realized that there was so much more we could do if we had our own physical space, if we had a bakery where people could come to us whenever they wanted to, not just on the days that we were able to be there. Um, and, you know, we really had a physical location. So it really, we had to do it is what it comes down to. Got it. So then you opened your actual location in New York City, Prohibition Bakery. Um, what what was the process of actually doing that? Because A, you've got real estate in New York City. I mean, those are big things in and of themselves. And B, you have like, you know, like kitchen build out. You have, uh, you know, you got to make sure you're licensed for everything. I would imagine alcohol. The fact that you have alcohol in there sort of added a whole different element into it too. What kind of steps did you have to go through in order to really go live with the with the bakery? Oh, gosh. I mean, that whole process started out so simply that we should have known it was not going to, be, <laughs> to stay that way. Um, you know, we found a space almost immediately. Um, we were working with a, a company, and they found a space for us, I think, probably within a month of our signing with them. And we went and looked at it, and we loved the neighborhood. It was on the Lower East Side on Clinton Street, which has a, a great culinary um, feel to it. A lot of really wonderful restaurants and bars are located there. So, you know, we immediately gravitated toward that, and the space was really tiny, but we figured we can make it work. You know, I went in there with masking tape and squared off, you know, this is where the stove will go, this is where the fridge will go, this is where the prep tables will go, and it's like, well, we can fit all of that stuff and maybe the two of us in here, so let's do it. <laughs> so, you know, we, we started the build-out, and then, of course, you know, that never goes as easily as you think it's going to, um, and we ended up hitting some construction snafus that, you know, $8,000 and two months later were taken care of thanks to a, a Kickstarter campaign, oh, um, you know, and then we were able to open our doors. In reality, as compared to a lot of businesses I've spoken to since then, we actually had it pretty easy, but at the time, I'm not going to lie, it was probably the worst thing that ever happened to me. Wow. And were you guys still, like, doing jobs during this time? Like, did you, were you still managing, like, like selling catering jobs while you were doing this build-out? Um, we were doing our best to, yeah. And actually, at the very beginning, um, signing our lease, I still had a job. Oh, wow. Um, I was, yeah, I was working um, at a publisher. I, I used to freelance in publishing in addition to bartending. So I was doing that um, in addition to <laughs> opening the store. And, you know, Brooke had left her job at, um, as a chef in catering to work on the store full time. So it was, uh, it was very chaotic, wow, <laughs> to say the least. You weren't sleeping a lot, were you? <laughs> no, I don't sleep much anyway, so that wasn't that much of a change. <laughs> well, okay, so in the once you actually opened, you know, and everything was sort of like official with the place and everything, how were you managing, like what roles did you guys really have? How did you manage the two of you or one of you being in there during the daytime, having, you know, like retail hours? Because now you're a retail business instead of just a catering business. How did, how did you guys manage all of that? You know, I think that was honestly one of our biggest 
struggles in the beginning was the amount of physical time that was required of both of us to be there doing the manual work in addition to the paperwork and all of the all the background stuff that people don't really think about. Um, you know, I, I've said before, we went into this originally thinking that, you know, um, I would be more the customer service side and Brooke would be more the business side and that would just take care of everything. And then you get down to it and it's like, well, who's the accountant and who's the janitor and, you know, who's going to fix that leak? Like, all of these things have to happen. And so I think for us a big uh, struggle initially that we've now thankfully gotten under control was figuring out how to really divide things up, how to delegate who does what best and, and, you know, the best ways to go about things. Yeah. And that's not an easy process. No, and that does take some time. I mean, with any partner, my husband and I are in business together and that with any partner, whether you're married to them or not, like you have to, it takes time to work all that stuff out. Like, where do you really shine? Where do I really shine? Where do I have the final say? Where do you have the final say? Where am I not allowed to get my feelings hurt? Because I know you, you rule this particular arena and you know, that's that. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. But now you guys, I mean, all these years later, you guys now have two people who are part of your team who are helping you guys out. So where where do those people come in? Is that um, like, where are they in your business? Are they helping to do the baking? Are they, you know, kind of manning the store? Where are they? They are um, at the store doing the baking as well as, you know, the counter customer service work, um, answering phones, all of those sorts of basic things um, that are I'm not to say easy to delegate because you're still wearing a lot of hats while, you know, getting paid not that much an hour, um, but, you know, the things that were easiest for us to let go of. Um, But we still do most of the other stuff. We have a publicist, and she helps us with, you know, all of the glad handing, which is very, very helpful. Um, But otherwise, you know, our our employees are wonderful and irreplaceable, but for the most part, they do the banking um, and just the general, you know, minding the store. Right. So um, I'm curious to know, once you guys opened up, did you did you open up to people like coming in and like they're ready to go, they're all about you, lines out the door, or was it crickets or somewhere in between? <laughs> Our initial opening was crazy. Um, we managed to generate a decent amount of press. Um, and our, our, I think our third day open, uh, we got a big piece in the New York Post. Um, we had a couple of features on, you know, various local television stations, you know, New York One kind of stuff. Um, and so, I mean, we were just crazy, busy all the time, people coming in from all over the place. I mean, people coming in from Long Island, from New Jersey, from Pennsylvania, um, people just visiting, oh, we saw you on the TV at the hotel, oh, wow. that kind of thing. So it was just crazy. And this was all during the summertime, which anybody who works in food and beverage in New York City will tell you it's a slow season. So it was really, really crazy. And then, of course, the next year when we came around to that time of year, it was like, where are all the people? Where did Mm. they go? What did we do wrong? It's like, oh, wait, no, this is how it's supposed to be. We just had a bizarre summer last year. Um, It was a, a very interesting experience. Well, so what have you done in the meantime to keep up that hype? Because, you know, opening, you have like a lot of hype, a lot of press going out. What what are some of the things that you guys do that really work for you for marketing uh, from a marketing standpoint that that drive people in? Um, well, I mean, our social media has been very strong from the beginning, and it's been a real focus. Um, you know, Facebook and Instagram in particular, we've used very much to our advantage to connect with our audience, particularly um, young professionals. That's a, a big part of our customer base. Um, so that's been very very useful. And then besides that, we've been really um, 
wise in our partnerships. We partner with various liquor brands. Um, we partner, you know, that sort of a thing to try to get the word out to an audience who will appreciate what we're doing. Um, mm-hmm. We've never really portrayed ourselves as the, you know, polka dot and ribbons kind of cupcake girls. Right. Um, so we, you know, we like to... Uh, appeal to more of a whiskey crowd, <laughs> right, right. if you will. Well, so give me an example of that. So, you know, a, a brand of your whiskey that you work with in one of your in one of your recipes and, and maybe some of the partnerships or things that that's produced for you. Um, well, for instance, we did a partnership. Um, we've partnered many, many times with Stoli, mm-hmm. um, the vodka brand. And through them, we've reached such a wide audience. They have such a strong social media presence um, that, I mean, just by working with them, making, you know, one or two products with them, we were able to reach thousands of people who had never heard of us before right. and who are the kind of people who love what we're doing. They they like to go out. They like to have fun. They like to drink. They go to events. They bring things to those events, and they bring cupcakes. Um, so it's, that worked out very, very well for us. Um, equally with Whistlepig Whiskey, um, which is a very high-end, kind of sophisticated uh, rye whiskey brand, um, and we partnered with them fairly early on and found that they really brought us to a, an audience that really wasn't aware of us um, and has stayed very loyal to us since then. That's awesome. And then what are you, what kind of things are you doing on social media? Like what, um, I mean, I would imagine perfect for Instagram just because you have pictures galore and they're really beautiful and they're sexy and they make people hungry. So, um, yeah. you know, maybe what what have you done or what's an example of, of maybe, you know, something that you posted on Instagram that just got a lot of engagement that really had an immediate um, impact? You know, it's it's so interesting. Instagram is such a, a, a fickle mistress at times. Um, you know, one minute you'll put up a picture of just a lone cupcake and 200 people will like it. And then you'll put up a picture of a dozen equally, if not more so, beautiful and delicious cupcakes and crickets. Um, <laughs> you know, but we, we do focus on a lot of um, cupcake shots, product shots, a lot of the making of, you know, making frosting, making fillings, things like that. Um, but we also do a lot of, you know, us being goofballs, you know, pictures of us dropping flour all over ourselves or, you know, covering ourselves in chocolate sauce or things like that. Because the, in the end, uh, Brooke and I both are extremely clumsy girls. So, you know, we find that people tend to engage with that because when it comes down to it, I mean, we're uh, a business owned by two young women um, and that's really appealing to people. That's really engaging to people. So I think, you know, a big part of it has been focusing on the product and making it look as delicious and wonderful as it is, and also um, showcasing ourselves um, and, and, you know, our impact on the business. So uh, people get to, yeah, and people get to really connect with the story behind it. Yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, you can go to any cupcake shop and buy a six-pack of cupcakes. It's it's not really that, you know, but to, to feel like you're really connecting with the business um, and, you know, because of that, the owners, I think, makes a difference to people. They really like that, especially in a city like New York that has so many options. Right, right. Um, how do you and Brooke get along as partners? Like, uh, we talked a little bit about this before, about the fact that you guys really needed to work on kind of distinguishing roles. Um, you know, what have, what have been some of the lessons that you've learned in having a co-founder and running a business together? And both of you guys are putting a thousand percent in, um, and sometimes little sleep means, you know, people are testy and I only say this from personal experience. So, you know, how, how have you guys really navigated, um, a really solid, uh, business partnership that's produced really well for you? Um, you know, I think the biggest thing for us has just been communicating. There was a, a time when we were so busy that we really weren't talking enough. 
um, about anything other than, you know, the logistics of how we were going to get it done. Um, and when you do that, so, you know, all of a sudden people's feelings are getting hurt, you're, you're misunderstanding someone's mood, you're misunderstanding a gesture, and suddenly people are upset about things that don't even matter, and you get distracted, and it's a whole mess. So I think for us the biggest thing is just really learning to communicate with each other in a more open and receptive manner and really hearing one another as opposed to reacting to one another. Right, right. That was, I think, the biggest lesson for both of us. And it's been difficult because we're both very stubborn, strong-willed women. Um, so, you know, when you put the two people like that together, there's going to be some, some butting of heads. But we're still standing. We're still running a business together, you know, three years later. So clearly we, we made it work for us. Yeah, you're doing something right. <laughs> um, so let's get back to the marketing just a little bit because I'm always curious with any, especially retail shops and then, um, and then you know, food-based products, are you running deals and promos and does that stuff work for you? Um, you know, I we really tried to avoid doing the deals and the promos, the, not to call anyone specific out, but the you know the Groupons and things like that. Right. Um, because I've I've seen them in my past incarnations and previous jobs, and the the owners lose, the companies lose. Um, you know, Groupon wins, and the customer maybe hopefully wins, but the company loses because if you're buying a product at fifty percent off, you're not going to come back and buy it full price. Why would you? You just got it for fifty percent off. Right. Um, and you know, more often than not, with those deals the company's losing so much money just to gain exposure. Well, we would rather gain exposure through, you know, a, a Facebook post that gets lots of shares or, you know, a really great but four-second piece on, you know, Good Day New York, that kind of a thing, because that really does so much more for us than offering some, you know, coupon to people. Right, right. Yeah, I'm always curious because there's like a, you know, there, I get about a 50-50 answer on that stuff because some of it is like, okay, nice, it's a good it's a good way to come in, maybe not d- such a deep discount like Groupon, but th- then others are, you know, absolutely swear against it. So, you know, just kind of letting the product be and the brand be the way it is. So yeah, I, I just think it really depends that. on the product that you're offering. Um, I think it depends on the product. I think it depends on the cost. And I think it depends upon the terms of the deal um, for most people as to whether or not it's, it's worthwhile um, but at least at this point, we just haven't really found it to be uh, worthwhile for us. And so for the most part, we've ignored it. Mm. Um, we've, we've avoided that particular option. Right. Now, what about all the different, um, what, like the business model for your business? How I know you mentioned catering before. You're obviously in your own retail. Um, what, are, what are some of the other pockets and, and where, where do they serve for you on the scale of your business? Are you trying to get into like different wholesale options, like any retail shops or anything like that? Like where does that all play out for you? Um, you know, at this point, we do a lot of catering and we do a good amount of retail out of our space. And I think that one of the areas that we are somewhat lacking is in our wholesale. We have a couple of clients, um, but I think that's something that we really could grow. I think that's something that will be beneficial to us in the future. But it's always difficult when you have a product like ours that's very delicate and uh, we don't use preservatives. We don't, we don't use fake food. It's all real food. So it doesn't have, you can't buy it on a Monday and serve it until the following Thursday. It doesn't right. work that way. So it's, it's been a little bit difficult in placing things in stores um, because people don't treat your product with the same respect level that you do. Obviously, why would they? Um, but, you know, we, we've had to then babysit doing, you know, checking up in these stores and making sure they're not selling things past their date and making sure they're displaying them properly and things like that. And unfortunately, we found for the most part, they haven't been. 
Um, so it's, you know, it's something that we really want to grow, but it's, it's difficult um, with a product like ours, which is why we're always working on developing new products in the hopes of making something that will be a little bit easier to place on a shelf. Right. And what about like your catering business? Um, how are you guys, other than like word of mouth and kind of getting it out there and so-and-so hears it, you know, uh, so-and-so's friend at Google is saying, hey, we should have them cater this party or what have you, or bring them in for the dessert. Um, how are you guys, uh, like, what is your process for sales for catering? Um, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but word of mouth is a huge part of it. We really do get so much business just through other people, um, you know, getting our product, liking it, telling their friends, and so on. Uh, we've also teamed up with Try Caviar, which is a wonderful, slightly high-end food delivery service in New York City, um, and they've served us very well. We are uh, right up their clients' alley. So that's worked out very nicely for us, and we found that we are well-suited to their business model. So we've, um, you know, tended to sort of promote one another as much as possible. Um, and that has been very, very useful to us. But that is much in line with um, increasing our wholesale business. A big part of what we're currently focusing on um, is spreading awareness of our, our catering um, and, and pushing that option more. Because, you, you know, it takes, you, you can only sell, a, you know, three for $5 cupcakes for so long to make your rent. You've you got to start looking for the bigger fish at some point. Right, right. So who's like your big, do you have like the big whale that you want to catch? Like, you know, hey, if we got this catering job, that would be awesome. Or if we like secured with this particular company for all their different events that they do, that'd be awesome. Have you, do you know who that is? Um, you know, honestly, the, the best thing and the worst thing about New York City is that just everybody's company is based here. Every big company, every little company, they're all based here. So really all of them, just everybody, we want all of them. Um, we, you know, we, <laughs> I love we the hunger. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Um, you know, we don't work with Google um, as much as we used to uh, just due to staffing um, on their end and things like that. So, you know, we, of course, would love to continue to work with them uh, more. That would be great. But really just uh, anyone and everyone, a lot of the really great young startups are based here, and they're a great customer base for us. So, you know, we've already been doing a lot of work with them. Um, I'm, maybe you're familiar with WeWork. Mm-hmm. It's, um, yeah, you know, an incubator for small businesses. We've done a lot with them and working with various companies under their umbrella, and that's worked out really well for us. And I think that that's a really good direction for us to go because those companies are growing and developing so quickly. Got it, um, yeah. And to, to be you know, uh, aligned with them and to have your company's name coming out of their mouths is very good for us. Mm. Now, what about online sales? Because do you or do you guys have that capability for someone to be able to come place an order online and you're able to take care of it within X amount of time? Or how does that work for you? Um, we do online sales for deliveries through uh, Try Caviar, but otherwise we don't really do online sales, uh, mostly because our we bake everything small batch, made to order every day. We don't bake our full menu every day. It's more artisanal. And people, especially people in New York City, don't really understand the idea of not being able to have that thing that they want when they want it. Right. Um, so for online sales, it's a little bit tricky for us because if we're not making something that day, we can't have it for you in an hour because we don't have it. Right, right. Um, and you know, so that makes online sales very, very difficult, unfortunately. But that's something that um, we're currently working on with our webmaster, actually. <laughs> but that kind of—I mean, from the opposite end too, it kind of makes it like you know, like very special. Like, oh man, okay, I got to go there on this special day or walk in and see what they got. And you know, I mean, it, I think it, it, at least looking on the bright side of what it is right now, like it makes you guys that neighborhood shop you got to stop into to see what they're new, what they're working on today. You know. 
and and that's what we hope to be. Um, you know, we try really hard to engage with our community. Um, as I was saying before about the you know being in the Lower East Side and the wonderful foodie neighborhood that we are in, um, we try to really engage with our community. Uh, whether it be you know we have a funny chalkboard that we have hanging outside every day with little jokes, you know, little boozy cupcake jokes and things like that, and people really like that and they come by to see that. And then you know when we're working on various custom flavors, partnerships, things like that, we more often than not will have the extras for sale at the store or, you know, just to sample by people. We have regulars that will come in and we'll say, try this. Does it need more of that? And people really love that. They like feeling like they're a part of it. Right. They like feeling like, you know, like we are an ever-moving, growing thing that they get to witness every day. Yeah. Leslie, what's you know, been one of the... the crumbs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what's What's been one of the toughest things that you've had to... Uh, move beyond or had to face in this entrepreneurial journey? Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, I think the toughest thing, I think for both of us, the toughest thing has just been um, self-doubt. It's, you know, it's a completely understandable thing. You you have these days that are so amazing. You have months where you're so busy and, you know, you're getting all these great write-ups, great press, and, you know, cupcakes flying out the door and everything. And then the next month, everything dries up and, you know, you sit there and you think, did I do everything wrong? Was this all a horrible mistake? What was I ever thinking? Um, but you just have to move past that. You know, for me, it's uh, I'm very pragmatic. I just look at the books from last year and go, nope, nope, February's like this. Nope, nope, this was <laughs> like this last year. It's okay, we're fine. Um, you know, but I think that that's probably the hardest part. Is it's just so easy, especially with something like this. Um, you know, that fluctuates so much. It, to really start to question everything just based upon one bad day. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. But it's a very real thing. And I, I've heard I've heard women business owners who have been in business for a year, who've been in business for 40 years still talk about that, just like that they just oh, have these moments of self-doubt, you know? So um, I think I actually, uh, I, I stopped into a bakery um, this past week that's in our neighborhood. It's a, a cupcake shop, and they've been there for over 10 years now. Um, and I was just chatting with the owner just you know, being friendly, that kind of a thing. And Valentine's Day was coming up, and we both started talking, and she goes, so what do you think it's going to be like this, this weekend? I mean, you know, Valentine's Day is on a Saturday. It's never on the weekend. What do you think it's going to be like? You guys going to be busy? What are you going to do? And, I mean, in theory, she's she's our senior. You know, she's been doing this for a long time. She's been right. through this before. But even still, she's like, I have no idea. I don't know what to expect. What are you going to do? And, you know, it's always interesting to see that. And it's honestly kind of reaffirming because sometimes, you know, you look around and, Everybody takes it till they make it, you know, and, and sometimes you believe it and you look at them and you think, well, God, you just got it all together. You, you don't, you're not worried about anything. You know, everything's going to be fine. What's wrong with me that I'm so worried? And so it's nice every now and again to talk to somebody that, you know, is doing very well and has succeeded, you know, by all definitions of success. And going, oh, you're freaking out too. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> See, and I'm just a big believer that we're all in this game together. Like we just, some of us happen to be in it longer than others, but we're still, um, somebody explained it to me once and I thought it was a brilliant, brilliant visual that business, I think they were talking about life in general, but we'll talk about this for business sake, was that uh, business is like an upward spiraling staircase and you continue to kind of walk the same path, let's say. You continue to kind of, your visual, you know, is here, this staircase that you're walking, but your vantage point is constantly changing. What you've now learned up here on floor 10, you never would have known and you never would have been able to see things uh, when you were on fl- on the first floor, you know? But it's this, con- yeah. like you're just constantly working around it. 
And I, I think the big challenge is to remember, despite the fact that you're moving in what feels like the same direction, that you are gaining ground and that you are in a different place and that you do know things that you didn't know before that you can apply. Um, you know, it's very easy to feel like you're in the exact same spot because your surroundings may not be that different. Um, but I think it's really important every now and again to remember how far you've come. Yeah, yeah um, that's very true. Because, you know, it's very, it's very validating for one thing. Yeah. You know, what's, what are one of the ways that you feel like you've evolved as a businesswoman over since 2011? Oof, um, <laughs> wow, that's a big one. Um, you know, I think this whole thing has just been a fever dream, honestly. Um, I The idea that I own a bakery is still so very strange to me. Um, I feel like I've really found my voice since I've been doing this. Um, you know, I was in publishing in 08, and I was laid off, and it really took the wind out of my sails. And I went from being a very loud, brash woman to being kind of timid. Um, and I think in doing this, I've, I've found that noise again, which has been really great for me. Um, and just, you know, learning things I never would have expected to to know anything about. <laughs> I mean, from the nitty-gritties of business to plumbing and carpentry. <laughs> you know, it's it's just been an incredible learning experience. Um, and I've, I've gotten so many skills and stories from it that I never saw coming. Yeah. What's the next step for Prohibition Bakery? Like, what's the big vision for you? Um, well, I think at this point we're just working on developing new products. Um, and growing our sales, you know, we are now two and a half years into our space, which is kind of a turning point for most people. You know, the three-year mark is a big deal. So I think at this point, we're just trying to develop in those areas and then really sit down and figure out what the next step is, not hypothetical, not, well, we could do this, because that's what the conversation has been up to this point, but more of, so we will do this. Mm. Yeah, love that. And being strategic about how you're moving towards it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love it. Well, Leslie, I really want to thank you so much for being so open about your business and for sharing all, all about it. It's it's an amazing one. Um, I, I love hearing the story of what really happens behind the scenes in order to have built your business up. And I think you guys are doing awesome, awesome things. So thanks for being here. Thank you. Please come and visit when you visit your husband's family. Absolutely, man. You got it. <laughs> here's my biggest takeaway. I loved the fact that they leveraged the brands of the alcohol companies that they worked with to get in front of their raving fans. So like they worked with Stoli um, and it worked beautifully because anyone who is a fan of Stoli, loyal to Stoli, loves Stoli anything, will absolutely purchase Stoli cupcakes, you know, Stoli infused cupcakes. So I just love that. So my, my question to you is, who is a major brand that you are working with or that you could work with who, uh, whose loyal people will absolutely love what you have because just because of the nature that, that they are loyal to that particular brand? I just really love that, and I would love to hear your answer on that. So if you have an answer on that, go to go put it in the forum, the BWR Connect on Facebook. If you are not currently a member there, make sure to go onto Facebook or go to bizwomenrock.com and go opt in and you'll get the easy instructions on how to be a part of that private group, which is super awesome. Anyway, I hope you have an awesome day and I'll see you on the next episode. Bye.